0: This morning, the Lord just kind of spoke this to our heart. I've been watching the kind of the aftermath of the hurricanes and everything going on, and uh, it's just this phrase just came up in my spirit. Okay, God, you got our attention. Amen. I mean, everything happened in the world. We, we our nation, should be saying, "Okay, you have our attention." And. Uh, I think about it like this. When God tries to get the attention of his people or of humanity, it's because he wants to bring revival into the earth. He wants to bring an awakening and, and a calling back to himself. And so uh, I just kind of wrote this out this morning and worked on it all most of the day today. And, uh, but just, oh God, you have our attention And the road to revival. So look at the cover of your outline. The scriptures reveal that God is always trying to get the attention of humanity. As you read through the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. God is trying to get people's attention. How many would agree? Trying to get our attention. To awaken them to righteousness. He's seeking to save His creation and not destroy it. His goal is always to bring us to repentance and to call us to return to Him. Father, I thank You in these next few moments, Lord, that You allow us to hear with clarity, with our ears, to see with clarity, with our eyes, and to receive in our hearts the truth of Your Word. Father, let Your Word be planted within us. Let us do what only it can do. Let it change us and transform us and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Everybody said? Amen. Praise the Lord. So we must always be aware that God is always working on two levels. Right now, God's working on two levels. He's doing two things, even in this room. God is going to be speaking to your heart individually, but He's also working amongst us corporately. Amen? So God is always working on two levels. He's working individually in our lives, and many times that's what we get caught up in. We just think about the individual aspect with God, but we forget that He is also a corporate God. And so when he does things, that's why we're always excited. Tim and Eve and and Pastor Sue and I, we were at the minister's retreat and so there we are. God's been speaking to us and we're going through things here at the church and we're seeking God for direction and purpose and how to keep moving forward and and, and lead our church. And then we go to this minister's conference and this pastor comes from Springfield, Missouri and he's preaching and everything he's preaching is right in line with what we're doing and we're looking at each other going, man, this is confirmation. So wait a minute, we're going, wait a minute. God's not only speaking to us individually, but he has a, a corporate and a unified voice in the earth. Would you agree? So we have to remember that, that God works on those two levels. He is at work in the heart of life of every individual, and he's working corporately with people groups, nations, and his church. We must never forget, and understand this, never forget that. We must never forget that the heart of God is always to forgive and to restore. The first time I heard that statement was my pastor. We were three weeks in to our first senior pastorate. We just moved from Bernie. We'd been on staff there in Bernie for two years, and then we moved to Beaver, California. And it, it, it's August of 1983, and we're 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 still unpacking. It's three weeks. We just got there. We got voted in. We're unpacking, getting settled, and I'm in this little this little cubicle of an office that they had at the church there, and I'm trying to put a few books away and stuff, and kind of organize stuff. And this guy walks in and goes, one of the guys that go to the church. He goes, "I just thought you should know, I've been having an affair with one of the elders' wives." I said, "That's awesome. I'm not even unpacked yet. This is glorious." <laughs> Amen. So he <I> goes, "I'm <laughs> what?" And so uh, I call up Brotherhood, my pastor. I said, "Brotherhood, what do I do?" And he goes, "Well, son," he says, "This is what you do." He says, "You cannot take sides." There's no right and there's no wrong in this. There's just the truth. And you're not allowed to take sides. He says, you have to understand, you might lose one or both of these families in all likelihood. But he says, your position is this. The heart of God is always to forgive and to restore. And as a pastor, he said, you're always to lead people to the forgiveness and the restoration of God. He spoke that, that truth into my life in 1983, and we've tried to, that's my job, is to help you and to lead you into the forgiveness and the restoration of God. If you're breathing, you are not too far gone. Amen. If you're here, people say, well, I don't know if God will forgive me. If you even feel like that, you're under conviction. And as long as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, as long as you have any sense of conviction in your heart, God is still dealing with you. Could you say amen? So we must never forget the heart of God is always to forgive and to restore, not to kill and destroy. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things happening. People make things up. His heart is for us to repent, not to perish. How many know the Bible says, Peter said, God's not willing that any should what? Perish, perish but all should come to what? Yes. Repentant. So the heart of God is for us to repent, not to perish. And I just believe, like I said, everyone in our nation should be saying, Okay, God, you have our attention. We have fires on the West Coast. We have floods on the East Coast. We have things happening. When have we ever had a hurricane wider than the state of Florida? Literally almost four times as wide as the size of the state of Florida. And, and, and record flooding in the Houston area in that 140 square miles flooded. Amazing, amazing things that are happening. And at that time we should be saying, we should be calling upon the name of the Lord. Amen. But if you look at history, look inside your outline. It's always amazing to me when you look back through history at the response of mankind to the hardships, perils, Suddenly, storms, and trials in life to see that so few choose to call upon the only one who is able to save and deliver them. Romans ten thirteen says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Amen. And so here's this great promise from God that we just call upon His name and He will save us. And I believe for our nation, if people just say, hey, we need to get past ourselves and just ask for some help. Amen. Just ask God to break in, to intervene, and ask for help. I believe that by His grace He would. But I find that humanity as a whole is prone to choose to rely upon their own strength, knowledge, resources, and abilities over the grace of God. Many times people at that place. I I got it. I can fix this. I can do this. I'm not completely, you know, messed up yet. I can turn this thing around. No matter what level it may be, we do that. But I like what Paul said. Second Corinthians. Keep your finger there. In Luke uh, chapter 24, we're almost there. But Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12, and I put it in, your, in, your, in the outline there for you out of the contemporary English Bible. It says this, I pleaded with the Lord three times for it to leave me alone. How many of you ever had a problem you asked the Lord about several times? Some of you are going through, you ask God, Lord, when's this going to break? When's this going to happen? But look what he says, I plead with the Lord, and and this is my interpretation. I'll just throw this in here right now. Paul said that he was given a messenger of Satan to buffet him, that every time he preached the gospel, that no matter where he preached, it seemed like he he just received opposition. And I believe Paul was like saying, you know what, Lord, it'd be nice to preach a message and have somebody say amen instead of throw a rock. It'd be nice to, after church, to go out to lunch with somebody instead of go to jail. Amen? It'd be nice sometime to be welcomed to somebody's home instead of run out of town. It'd be not. So you go back to chapter 11 and you list where, where Paul is declaring his apostleship and, and, and his right to be called an apostle. But he goes through everything that he has endured and through his persecution. And you look at all the times that he was beaten, that he was, he, he was beaten with rods, he was whipped with 39. Three times he was whipped with lashes, 39 stripes. You start adding up how many times he was beaten with whips, with rods, stoned, imprisoned, in chains. He goes, Lord, is this ever going to stop? Is there ever going to be a lifting off of that? And so he's saying, I prayed the Lord three times for it to leave me alone. And he said to me, my, look at this. He said to me, my grace is what? Enough because power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Look what Paul says. So I will gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest upon me. Now, look what Paul's saying. I, I want to stay at a place. Humanity puts too much confidence in their own ability. But Paul says, I'm in a place where I no longer have any confidence in myself. I want to live at that place where all of my trust, all of my hope, all of my confidence is in God's grace and His power coming upon my life. I would rather be weak so that in my weakness, His grace, His power will come upon me. Amen? And He will enable me to go beyond what I am able to do in myself. Therefore, I... I'm all right with weakness, insults, disasters, harassment, and stressful situation for the sake of Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Even at that point. Look at Paul's in there. He says, hey, guys, don't sail. If you sail, it isn't going to turn out well. And then he gets in the middle of the storm. And he's praying. He says, all right, this is what's going to happen. We're all going to be saved. Just going to lose the boat. Amen? And and Paul's a perfect pick. It's all going to be okay. And so what you find out when you get a hold of this, no matter what's happening around you, no matter what the stress, what the trial, what the storm, you always have a peace on the inside of you that God's grace is going to show up even when it looks beyond all hope and complete despair. God's always going to show up and grace is going to provide the provision that you need. Amen? So it's so good. Praise the Lord. So think about it like this. In this area, let's just go back up just a little bit. God's grace is His power released on our behalf to deliver us and save us from what we cannot save ourselves from. That's what grace is. Grace is God's power released on your behalf, on my behalf, to save us and deliver us from what we cannot save and deliver ourselves from. How many know the Bible says we are saved by grace Through faith, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen, Ephesians 2. It's God's gift to us. We can do nothing about our sins. We can't fix our sins and people that are trying to fix themselves and get right. We cannot do it in ourselves. You need power beyond your own ability to do it. That's God's grace. My friend Walkie Walker, back at that same time, and it's stretching our lives, he made this statement. The definition, I don't know where he got it from, but I've held on to it. It's the best definition of grace that I've ever heard. One statement, it's the power of Christ at the point of our need. What is God's grace? It's the power of Christ at the point of your need. That's what Paul's saying. Whenever I come up against a need, whenever I come up against a weakness, a deficiency, a lack in my life, I'm confident of this one thing God's grace is going to show up on my behalf. God's power at the point of my need will be available. Amen? Now, I'm saying all that as a lead into this. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 13. We'll read through this, and then we'll come back and look at a few parts of it. Praise the Lord. Now, behold, two men were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Or there's the Lord walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And verse 17, I love this. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleophas said and answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there these days, in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we're going... But, but we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find His body, they came saying that, he had also, that, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. And did not see him. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Wow, what an amazing experience. Amen? Now, go back up and look at this with me. They said to one another, look in your outline. We're in our hearts on fire when He spoke to us along the road, when He explained the Scriptures to us. See, I believe we live in a world that's in need of CPR right now. What's CPR? My definition of CPR is right there, calling people to repentance. Amen. We're in a nation that needs to repent. We have a lot to repent of. Amen. We need more than mouth to mouth and a few chest pumps. <laughs> Amen. We need to be called to repentance. Praise the Lord. And that's really what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about calling people to repentance. To turn away from the direction. To change directions. i said right now. If our nation does not repent. If we stay in the direction we are going. We will not be a nation. For long. You cannot go down this path as a nation and exist. It is impossible to do that. And so we need a call to repentance. That's what the gospel does. Jesus came preaching the gospel of repentance. Not acceptance. Repentance. Amen. And so we have to have that call to repentance. But the call has to come through you and through me. But we've been taught so much tolerance, so, so much be niceness, so much of this, that we're afraid to call people to repent. Jesus just said it like this. Unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you change the direction in the course, It's not bad. We tell people if somebody's getting ready to drive off a cliff, we go, hey, Repent. Change your direction or you're headed for a dive, amen? And so people wouldn't get mad at you for saving their life from going off a cliff. Why should we care about people and why should we be afraid of people getting mad? We're just trying to keep people from falling into hell. Amen. From going into eternity condemned and separated from God. Think about it. These two people, men, were met by Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and their conversation intrigued the Lord as He heard them speaking, because they had no clue what was going on. And they're talking about the events surrounding His crucifixion, and resurrection. They're bantering back and forth about all they had heard, all that had transpired, what they thought, how they thought they had it figured out, how it was all going to work out. How I many know everybody figures has all has an opinion on how, how God's going to do everything. And then we argue about our opinions. And God said, nah, I ain't doing none of that stuff. <laughs> Amen. And I like this. The New Living Translation said, and he asked them, why are you discussing so intently? What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And then it says, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Because all that they thought and hoped was going to happen didn't turn out the way they thought it would turn out many times that's what happens in our walk with God? We think God's going to do something a certain way, and then we get discouraged. Think about it. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there the last few days. Sometimes people have that thought. Hey, God, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened? Amen. And we can feel that way at times. God, do you know what's going on down here? Look at the flood. We got this stuff in floor. Look at the stuff, the fire. Look at this. Look at that. Look at what's happening here. All this stuff going on. Amen. But that's the way we respond until we allow the Holy Spirit to open the Scriptures to us. Until we do that, we will be confused about the happenings of our day and our time. Listen, guy, with everything going on all around us, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to open the Word of God to you so that we can see with clarity. In the last days, there are so many things happening. People come up with so many opinions, and so many things happen. You need to have perfect clarity. The only one who can do that is the Holy Spirit. Amen? But, everybody say but. But when He reveals Himself to us and opens the Scripture, then we too have burning hearts for the Lord and His Word. See, something happens. We we get all kinds of stuff. We get all discouraged, everything else. But something happens when the Word comes alive to us. It changes, and it creates that burning on the inside. This book becomes a living word, and it's life, and it gets infused into us. and we just have to share that truth and that goodness with somebody else. Hear me this evening. There are multitudes around us that are yearning for something that will put a vibrancy in their souls. We live in a world that is discouraged right now people around. There are people trying everything. I, I got so, I was so frustrated the other day, and, and I have this little girl that is, a, a, she's the daughter of, of a dear friend of ours, and uh, she is posting on Facebook that she has had insomnia for the last several days, just hadn't been able to sleep, and so then all these goofy people are going on there telling her to get cannabis pills, or to smoke pot, or to do this and do that. And finally, I'd had enough. So I just chimed in, and I said, pray in the Holy Ghost, and breakthrough will come. Because she's born in the church, raised up church, she's filled with the Holy Ghost. But I'm, I'm now she's contemplating. instead of going to my answer and calling upon the name of the Lord, she considered. And, then she goes, and one guy says, "I'm your hippie friend next door. I have all that stuff they're talking about. Just let me know, and I'll bring it all over." So here we are, going for subs, going to do all that just to try to get some sleep. I said, "Number one thing, it's it's a given. Try to pray. You're out." Could I get amen? You get I'm getting up early this morning. I'm going to pray. I'm getting up at 4:30 so I get my hour in. I'm getting up an hour. I'm a praying an hour. You go kneel down at your couch, at your prayer place. Next thing you know, you're slobbering on your couch. F- oh Lord, I love you. Glory to God. Prayer is the quickest antidote for insomnia. Amen. I said, pray in the Holy Ghost, your breakthrough will come. But I'm telling you, there are multitudes yearning for true vibrancy in their soul. They're hungry to come alive. To be born again. Multitudes hungry. All around, we're living in a world that is in despair, that is facing turmoil and confusion and everything around us. And they just need somebody to tell them they can call upon the name of the Lord. Come on, okay God, you have our attention. Come on, this is the road to revival. People are looking for answer. There is only one answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What a greater hour than today to speak about the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? But we have to have hearts that are set on fire or else we're just going to be running around talking about the events of the day. We're like the road, be men on the road to Emmaus. We're caught, oh, look at all this going on, all this happening, and da 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 da, da And we don't even recognize the answers walking with us. Yes. We're doing all right. So people are ready to be born again. They just need someone with a heart of fire to tell them. Look at the next page you're outlining. When we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in our heart, it opens our lives up to the more pervasive and overwhelming influence of the work of God in our lives. Come on, the Holy Spirit will become an overwhelming influence in our lives if we'll just get a little more open with Him. Amen. Think about it. Our hearts become infused with a holy love that can engulf an entire body of believers and it can reach out and impact the very fabric of our entire culture. When our hearts are set on fire and they begin to burn with the truth of God's word, something overcomes us and we just begin loving people in a greater way, in a greater measure, and in a different light than we did before. And and, and we're not wanting to be caught up in all the minutiae of everything that's happened around us in the confusion of the day. We just want to find somebody that we could share this amazing love with. Amen? God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's restoration. But hear me this morning. It will not come without preparation. God doesn't move. Revival doesn't come. It doesn't come without preparation. And that, all that was just kind of introduction to get us to this point tonight. And so on Tuesday night in our prayer time and even moving forward into next year, we're going to be restructuring this time on Tuesday night. It is so important that we pray. And so we're seeking the Lord for guidance and direction on really how to change our Tuesday night into more of an aggressive prayer time and doing that because prayer is so important. Prayer is the preparation and prayer paves the way. Go with me to Luke chapter 3. Just follow with me for the next few moments here. Luke chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria, in the region of Tonsillitis, and Lysanias, and tetrarch of Al- Albany, New Mexico, Annas and Caiaphas being high priests. Look at this. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, where? In the wilderness. Everybody say, in the wilderness. The word of God came to John, the Baptist, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region round about Jordan, preaching the baptism of what? Repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare. Everybody say prepare. Prepare Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Wow. What an amazing promise. Amen? So revival always comes at a specific time. But it always comes following preparation never before. So here's the key. We are living in an amazing hour, an amazing time, with amazing opportunity before. But we have to make sure that we are prepared for it. Amen. To move in it, to take advantage of it. Because opportunities rise up. And if you aren't prepared to take advantage of the opportunity, you miss it. There, there, I, I preach a message. Seasons of opportunity and times of purpose. And I preach that around those three anointings. Because nobody, nobody really knew, if you, if you stayed that those three women, nobody knew how long Jesus was going to be, when he was going to pass by. For when the Holy Spirit's moving upon you, speaking to you, and directing you, and encouraging you to move and to do something, you need to act in. You don't know that you're going to get another opportunity. There's a, there are seasons of opportunity that are connected to times of purpose. And especially when Jesus said, leave her alone, she has done this for my burial. And so there was a purpose, but it was only two days. The last one was two days before the Passover. There would not be another opportunity if she hadn't followed the leading of the Holy Spirit at that moment. If she hadn't been prepared in her spirit and willing and obedient to move at that time, she would have missed that season of opportunity to fulfill that time of purpose in God's plan for her life. So important. So preparation, it never comes before. So look what it says. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. What does that mean? Go with me to, I keep your finger there in Luke, but go with me to Isaiah 55. Listen to this. Where's that coming from? Two places. Isaiah, excuse me, not 55, but 57. Isaiah 57 and verse 14. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God says, I'm a God of forgiveness and restoration. So remove the stumbling block. Get the things out of the way. And we're going to see that that's part of what uh, that word that John is quoting there. Go with me to uh, chapter 35. Just turn to the left a little bit to chapter 35 and one verse, verse 8. It says, A highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. I like that. Because you know what? You don't have to get it perfect to be right. Amen. I can be, as long as my heart is right, as long as I'm seeking God with all my heart and doing my best to follow after peace and holiness with God, I can mess up every now and then. I can make some foolish mistakes, but I'm going to be all right. Amen? I like that. Praise the Lord. So watch this. So what are the conditions that are met? What does it mean to repair the way of the Lord, to make His path straight? There are conditions to be met. Look at what John said. The valleys of defeat must be filled to reach a life of victory and power. We have to fill some valleys up. Amen? Valleys of defeat. In our life, people get discouraged. And Sean did a great job Sunday morning preaching on that, going through different things. And, and, and the, the, if you don't have the devotional, that devotional of that pastor that is there, and he's arrested, and he's set before the firing squad, and then he's, he, he's, he's passed over when they count him off, and then he's taken back to the prison cell. And then instead of being discouraged by being in prison and almost being shot by the firing squad, he, he starts preaching the gospel, and eight people get saved. But those are eight people that if he hadn't gotten into that prison, they would not have been saved. So the Lord had to take him where he didn't want to go. Nobody would have signed up. Hey, I need somebody to go to prison and maybe get shot in a firing squad. i got eight people there and need to get saved. Amen. And then if you said in the next breath, hey, we need some volunteers in children's nursery. How many know you could fill your children's nursery up right there? (laughs) Jail, firing squad, work with Kids. Kids. Amen. Some people act like working with kids, like being put before a firing squad. <laughs> but you'll survive. Amen. Speaking of that, we could use some more volunteers in there. So sign up and help out in that area. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, But the valleys of defeat. So we go through defeat, we get discouraged. That needs to be built up. Prepare the way of the Lord. You're going to prepare the way in your heart before you ever prepare it for somebody else. Valleys, things you've been through, discouragement, disappointment, those have to be filled up to a life of victory and power. Secondly, mountains of unbelief must be leveled to a life of faith and trust. Mountains of unbelief... Unbelief attacks us in so many different ways. And and you have to learn how to level those mountains of unbelief to where the only thing, that we walk by faith and we speak by faith and we declare the Word of God. We gave you the threefold cord of power, the the Word of God, the name of Jesus, and the authority of our confession. Amen? So we have that. We have to walk in that and live by that. And then crooked paths must be straightened to a life of truth and honesty. Amen. I mean, Christians shouldn't be liars. Amen. We should just have honesty in our life and truth and operate in, in righteousness and purity before God. That takes some work in our lives and getting through things. And then rough ways must be smooth to lead a life of peace and kindness. And so there's a preparation. All this it just doesn't happen overnight. And so a lot of times in our prayer time we come in and, and we just don't want to spend that time in the preparation that it takes. But but if we'll give ourselves to it, then God can do that preparing work, and then we can go out and we can see revival begin to flow. The revo- results are, as we read in verse six, that salvation is preached. The results are revival and salvation. In verse sixteen, John begins on, and then. He He's going to come on. He's also going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with power. Thank God we don't get get saved, but we get power to live this life as well. Amen? So God gives us that. So let me just say this, and, and we're going to take a few moments and pray tonight. The only way to prepare is to pray. We're not going to get prepared outside of that. We have to pray. Pray and spending time in His presence. Prepare yourself by prayer and spending time in His presence and in His Word. How many, know, how many know when you're praying, you're talking to God? How many know when you're in this Word, God's talking to you? So it has to be a two-way conversation. I'll never forget, Sharon McIntosh, uh, a dear friend of ours, ta- taught a class on personal devotion in Bible school when I was going to Bible school. And he says, anytime you go into your prayer closet, take a note paper with you. And expect God to answer you. Expect God to talk to you in your prayer time. So after you pray, shut up. (laughs) And let him speak. Okay, Lord, what do you want to say? And you'll find that he'll speak to you. In the meantime, you just begin to open the word. And the word of God will speak. Mercy Me wrote that song, Word of God Speak, it it fall down like rain. Amen. So just say, come, Word of God, speak into my heart. Father, speak. Tell me. Answer. And you listen. And you'll hear the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you. And then write that down. Record that. God's talking to you. And so what am I doing? I'm preparing my heart, and I'm opening my heart up and say, Lord, I, I want you to do that pervasive work. I, I want you to do that, that, that area where you just begin to move in with your overwhelming influence in my life. I, I want my heart to be on fire as you open the word up to me. Amen? So you allow God to do that. He opens up the scriptures, and he sets our heart on fire. Think about it. We will not fill valleys, level mountains, straighten crooked paths, or smooth the rough ways in our own strength and ability. It isn't going to happen. It will take the grace of God and the power of Christ resting upon us. God, I need these valleys filled, these mountains brought low, straighten the crooked places, smooth over the rough place. There's no way I can do it. So, Father, I thank you. I'm drawn upon your grace right now. And in prayer and in the Word, that infusion of God's power begins to flow into our life. And then think about this the Word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. I want you to hear this tonight. The place of separation. To God. The wilderness is a place where we separate ourselves unto God. The wilderness is not always a place of testing and trial. John wasn't being tested and tried. Well, Jesus went in the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil. And every time we hear the wilderness, we think God is testing. He's trying. He's doing this. You know, it's an ugly place. No, a wilderness in this case is a place where you're separated just you and God. You separate yourself from it. It's a, there's nobody else there. There's nothing else there. It is an abandoned place. It is an isolated place. Are you listening to me? So John, the Word Lord came to John there. The place of separation. It is also the place of isolation from the world and every other voice but God's. Amen. Pastor John Lindell challenged us in that, and I don't know about you, I I got convicted when he said it, because a lot of times, today we are too connected. Amen. We're too connected. Our phones and technology have made us connected. Sometimes most people, first thing they do, they roll out of bed, their phone is their alarm clock. And you get out of bed, first thing you do, you start looking at your phone. First thing you're doing is you're allowing voices to speak into your life. And so he says, you need to have a set place where you go to pray and that you make sure you don't take anything with you except you and your Bible. And just go talk to God. Well, my phone is my Bible. The problem with your phone being your Bible is all the other voices that are in there with your Bible. And so while you're trying to press into God, somebody sure enough, somebody will text you. You'll get a bleep. Blah, 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 blah. Somebody just posts something on your Facebook page. Blah, blah, blah. You just got an email. Blah, 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 blah. I just don't know why I feel like God isn't close to me anymore. Amen. Are we doing all right? So wilderness is the place, and it's not. I love the convenience of technology. I love that I can have my Bible on my iPad, that I take my notes there and doing all that stuff. But something amazing happens when I have a Bible that only has one voice in it. Are you listening to me? One voice. That I isolate myself and say, God, word of God speak into my life. Word of God speaking. My, and I allow God. I get to that place. We all need. You need a wilderness place in your life. I need it in my life. We need it as a church. And even in our times here. We're coming together and saying. God do your work in our life. Let us separate something. And let us come together in your presence. So you can set our hearts on fire. So wilderness is that place of isolation from the world. And every other voice except God. God's grace. Is available in that place of isolation you come out of that place knowing that I have heard from the Lord I'll never forget and uh, the first time I experienced it really personally powerfully experienced my first experience with God in this level was when we were in transition in Bernie California we had been there almost go- going into our second year we've been there like a year and a half and the whole thing blew up and we had to resign and I'm sitting there, I go, God, what do we do? And I had a 1967 Chevy pickup, three-speed on the column. And I, God, I don't know what to do. And I had this little cassette player in there and that. And I had a Dallas Holmes cassette. How many remember Dallas Holmes? And Dallas Holmes wrote a song called, Here We Are in Your Presence, lifting holy hands to you. And outside of Bernie, I drove up on this hill up above... The valley there. I just got up there and I put that CD on. I'm just worshiping God. So, God, what do I do? And in that moment, I just felt the grace of God flood into that truck. That old truck sat down in my heart. And I was at rest. And I knew God's grace was going to work in my life. I knew God's grace had just showed up in the cab of that pickup. And that was in January of 1983. From January to May, we had no income except $300 a month. My wife is pregnant with our son Austin. I go, God, what are we going to do? And God miraculously sent provision in and fed us. The people where we were renting a place to live said, hey, you don't have to pay any rent until you find a job. People would give us money, provide food. And we just felt, God, what do we do? And, and we knew we just had to wait there. And, and, and Sue and I started thinking, well, you know what? We could go back to our home church. Because we had gone there. And uh, my pastor had said, hey, son, if I knew what was in you, I never would have let you go. He couldn't see that because of my past and thinking about me, he couldn't see beyond my past. So it was hard for him to see the potential of God on the inside. I said, man, if I'd have known what was in you, I'd have never let you go. So I'm thinking, man, Pastor Pastor would find a place for me. I could go back. But I remember telling my wife, I said, honey, you know what? I said, I know this. I said, we can't go. This is one thing I know. We can't go back. Because I've watched everybody who went out and went back never went out again. I said I'm not going back we're going to stay here we're going to believe God and God came through and by May I finally got a job I mean I have skills I'm a journeyman cement finisher I can do something else I have skills and so I, could, I couldn't I couldn't. I was working at the mill for free I went down and said you guys are going to have to hire somebody tell you what you train me I'll come in and work for free they said okay you couldn't do, I could have sued them today but that back before, they said, yeah, go on down here and clean out. And So they, they, I was doing cleanup for them in the mill. And I'd applied. At, at the, they were building a, a, a cogeneration plant. And I'd applied out there and I hadn't gotten anything back. So I'm there working two days. On my second day working at the job, that plant called up. The, the power plant company called up. And, and uh, they wanted to hire me, so Sue calls the, the mill and said, "Hey, can you send my husband home? There's somebody who wants to pay him to work." <laughs> Amen. So the, so so they hired me to to run their foundation crew, and so we got to be job doing that, and that lasted for about six weeks till we, eight weeks till we answered the call and go to Bernie, and I mean to Bieber. But I'm just telling you that there's something about being in that wilderness place. But getting alone, isolating yourself, going to the wilderness, that's not a test or a trial. That place where you isolate yourself with God in prayer. And you prepare the way of your heart. You, you fill up the valleys. You level the mountains. You straighten the crooked places. You, you move over the rest place. Say, okay, Lord, I'm at rest in your grace. Amen. And it sets down in you. And then you can go on. And then out of that, you're able to minister to others. Are you listening to me? So important. So here's these four questions to take away tonight. Let me ask you this. Does God have your attention right now? Does he have your attention? Everything going around in life? Hey, are you hungry to see his revival? You want to see God's revival? Not yours. His. His. I was preparing this this morning. The Lord reminded me. How many remember the the account? We're reading about John, the beginning of his ministry. How many remember how his ministry ended? Matthew chapter 11, John sends messengers to Jesus. He's in prison because he just rebuked Herod for for having his brother's wife and and being in adultery and doing all that. And now he's in prison. Now he's about to get his head cut off. And and he sends word to Jesus. said, are you he? Are we looking for another? What he's saying is, Are you going to get me out of here? (laughs) And Jesus says, go back and tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the gospel is preached to the poor, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. John, I'm sorry, you're not getting out. You're going to die in that prayer. Before your 35th birthday, your purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord. His revival is not always our idea of revival. His way of fulfilling His plan is not always our. We don't have many people signing up to give their life before their 35th birthday. God said, I'll call you, but I'm going to send you to a place where you're possibly going to lose their life. Amen. They used to have those missionaries that pack all their stuff in caskets and go on the mission field and say, we came to give our life for this. We're going to live here and give our lives here. Amen? And one person said, said, if you go in there, they'll kill you. The guy said, hey, we died before we came. How many know what I'm saying. See, that resolve gets down on the inside of you out of spending time in the wilderness. And the voice of the the word of the Lord came unto John in the wilderness. I'm trying to tell you this evening how to prepare, how to have God use you. There are people all around us that if God can get our hearts set on fire, then we'll move to share the truth. We'll get delivered out of all the confusion. Those two men are walking on the road talking about all the things that are going on around them. And then the Lord comes and opens up the word to them. Their hearts get set on fire, and now they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they'll go back and tell everybody what happened, and they're back on the right path. Amen? So, are you hungry to see his revival and not yours? Third, are you willing to walk in the wilderness of separation from the world to hear his voice? And fourth, are you ready to prepare the way? And I submit to you, if we do those things, revival is on the way. Amen? Bow your head with me tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Would you just stand with me just for a moment?